Hi, my name's Edie. I'm 16. I'm a junior in high school. I'm Chinese American. I'm an introvert. I'm a dancer. I do theater. I could go on, but to save you some time, I won't. All I'm saying is that everyone has a unique set of attributes from which an individual voice emerges. So, with that, welcome to my podcast, Voices. Here we talk about a lot of things, but what's important is that everyone who shares uses their voice to discuss the topic at hand. Part of being human is discovering your voice, but it's also about learning the voices of others. This week, I'm talking to my friend Nia Hippolyte. To restate what one of my teachers said this week, our worlds have blown up recently, and today Nia and I are going to talk about George Floyd's death and the Black Lives Matter movement. These things aren't easy to talk about, but an objective of voices is to have these conversations and lift up voices, because that's where it all starts. Without further ado, here's Nia. Hi, my name is Nia Hippolyte, and I'm currently an uprising sophomore at UMass Amherst. I am a daughter, a sister, and a friend. I identify as a Black woman. I'm empathetic, silly, and caring. My family and friends are important to me, and I value the ability of being honest as well as in education. It's important to me that everyone feels included. I wanted to be on this podcast to use my voice and be vocal on these issues. I was unable to attend the protests, but I think that in this way I can fight for a change. So going into the questions, what was your initial response when you heard about George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Brianna Taylor and all these other things that have been happening recently? I think that my initial reaction was feeling very numb to this. I didn't cry or anything, and I think that as the days pass on, like I get different emotions. Sometimes it's anger and now it's sadness, but I think that each emotion gets stronger as the days pass on. But I feel like within this entire process, people of color in the Black community are definitely grieving this loss. And now that you've had time to process everything, what else would you add, do you think? I feel like when you see yourself being killed in broad daylight daily, you become desensitized to it. And I think that it's something that can mentally drain you as a person. First person that I remember with someone was Trayvon Martin, and I was around eight or nine when this happened. And it's just incredibly sad. And it's something that I've gotten used to, you know. And a lot has been done over the past couple of days and just, I guess, over even the past couple of years. But what do you think the next step should be in terms of affecting a real change? I mean, I think that it starts with the institutions. So the first thing that comes into mind is the education system. Like when we look at high schools, elementary schools, and middle schools that have a high population of Black and Latino students, those schools are the ones that are the most underfunded. And then when you go to a school that is predominantly white, like Newton North, you have a ton of resources coming in. And I feel like that if you're one of those black and brown students that are going to an underfunded school, you know, schools that don't have as many computers or laptops, all of that stuff, it's telling the students that they don't matter, you know, consistently. Mm-hmm. And the students will start to believe it, you know, like I was a part of the MECO program. And while I was grateful to have been a part of it, you know, there shouldn't have been one in the first place because I shouldn't have to go to the suburbs, you know, to get a better education than my neighbor. And, you know, this also starts in the classroom as well. I feel like we're constantly reading things about white authors and reading white history. And I feel like as a person of color, when you see that you're not being represented in history, 
you know, you start to believe that you don't matter yourself. And it also goes with um, AP classes. You know, I was in one AP class out of like three black students out of like 20 other white students. And I'm, right. while that's fine, I feel like I shouldn't, you know, they should be diverse. And when I think about my history lessons, like I can't name someone that's Asian American, Native American, or Hispanic, that's a historical figure. And I think that it's terrible. Like the school system, it perpetuates this white supremacist idea and it gets under your skin. And also recently there's been a lot of, I don't know, there's been a huge spread on social media of the Black Lives Matter movement. And it's kind of blown up, I guess, over the past couple of days. Mm. But what do you, what's your take on like the whole social media scene and response? I mean, I feel like when it first happened, you know, it's, it seemed very performative. But I feel like as, it, as time goes on, like, I'm starting to realize that, I mean, it's, it's nice that people are stepping up and speaking up. But I don't know, I, I'm kind of like 50-50 on it because I had a situation where one of my friends, they didn't post anything, you know, and I reached out to them and I was like, hey, like, what are you doing to support this movement? And, you know, they were, but mm-hmm. a part of me feels like someone shouldn't have to post on social media to show that they support the movement. But I feel like at the same time, I think that when you're not doing anything at all, you know, like it can, and especially if you're friends with the person, like I feel like that can transfer a different message. And I feel like the reason why people are staying silent about this is because they don't know what to say and they don't want to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's better to say something than nothing at all. But I, I still think it's kind of weird that like the black community or people of color kind of rely on social media to show whether you stand with them or not, because, you know, I don't think it should be that way. Like my, both of my friends that haven't posted anything, they've been signing petitions and they have donated, you know, Mm -hmm. but then also there's probably some people that aren't posting anything at all because they don't stand with the movement. So I think it's a very tricky situation to be in, you know, the first place. Right. I also noticed that social media has the tendency to be super judgmental and make Mm -hmm. people feel bad. And with this, the whole idea of posting versus not posting, there's kind of like this stigma almost that people who aren't posting don't support it, even though Mm -hmm. that's not usually the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like something that like I've been thinking a lot about is when this first happened, I saw someone post that, you know, to not post videos of black men being murdered, like on your story. And I think that that's something I'm also 50, 50 on that too. Like I understand why people shouldn't post it because I feel like as a black person, when you see that, like all the time, like someone that looks like you being put down, like it's incredibly mentally draining and it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And also I think about the families, you know, like the people that have seen their loved ones, like taking their last breath on camera and having that being broadcasted in the entire world. Like, I feel like I, I can't imagine that, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, at the same time, I feel like the use of a camera is good because you get that solid evidence and you see what was happening because when you look back to um, Trayvon Martin and you look at that case, a lot of people weren't sure of what happened and I mean it wasn't video camera so no one you know they don't people don't have hard evidence Mm -hmm. of 
what happened. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. Do you think that the fact that this happened during a global pandemic affected the way people responded? I mean, a small part of me does feel that the pandemic has affected the response of some people on social media. Because when you think about it, everyone is stuck at home and they have to face the cruelty of this video. But at the same time, I feel as if it pushes us forward because being in quarantine allows all of us to process this murder on our own. And I think this is a perfect time to be self-reflective, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, whoever you are, and to self-reflect on the bias that you have. Because I feel like, like that's where it all starts, is our own biases and just admitting that we have them in the first place. Because right. I feel like if we don't admit them, then we're not pushing toward any change at all. Yeah, and I also think it's just starts with learning and educating ourselves. And right now, like you said, since we're all at home, we have the time to. Yeah, um, exactly. Were you able to attend any of the recent protests? No, I was not. Yeah, I, I wasn't either. But since you weren't able to go, do you still think the protests are effective or will be effective? I mean, I'm hoping that they are, you know, especially the peaceful protests. I think that's something that I've been struggling with is like reconciling with the idea of looting. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I feel like, you know, I understand the pain and anger of the black community and transferring that into looting. But then at the same time, I feel like those that are non, that aren't black, that are capitalizing off of the looting is just plain wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think, of course, I want them to be effective. And I think it's a great way to, to for a catalyst for starting a conversation. But I, at the same time, I think in terms of police brutality, I feel like, no, I, I, it's just such a big institution, you know, like that I feel like this has been going on for years. There are good cops, but I think that all cops are a part of an institution that perpetuates racism in our community. Mm. Um, and changes need to be made within the department itself. I don't know yeah. how, but I know that they have to be made. And I also feel like I'm also very upset at the people that are commenting on the looting that's happening, but not speaking up and saying something about the murder that just happened. I feel like if your group, like if you weren't oppressed for 400 years, you you don't understand the possible anger that is boiling up and piling up within the black community so I feel like it's not I feel like it, you shouldn't comment on the types of protests and the violence that's happening because you don't understand what's going on inside of them yeah and how have you been using your voice on this issue so I've been reposting on Instagram and Facebook a lot and also by being a part of this podcast I feel like is a way to use my voice And also, of course, just speaking to family members and friends about what's going on currently. Mm -hmm. I've been one of those people who's kind of been refraining from posting on social media Mm -hmm. because I am having trouble figuring out what to post or what to say. Because I I mean, I want to show people that I care, but I also don't necessarily think that social media is the only way I can do that. And I've been having conversations at home with my family and with my friends and with other people just about my feelings about Mm -hmm. it. And that's, that's kind of how I've been using my voice so far. I also struggle to see sometimes the effect that the social media 
protests will have or like the chance yeah. of spreading information. I'm not quite sure how effective they'll be in the long run. Yeah, because exactly. I, it's all just like spreading information. Like I feel like someone can easily post something about the movement but not be really engaging in it at all, like not signing petitions, not donating. And I feel like that, that's where it can be tricky when like you're not sure if it's performative or if they're actually engaging and supporting the movement. Right. And have you struggled at all to find your voice? I mean, don't mean necessarily with this issue, but throughout your journey of quote unquote racial puberty. Yeah, I feel like I have. I feel like as a black woman, I think that we're told to stay silent and we're most often often silenced by others. And I think that when I was younger, like it was harder to call out people who said and engaged in racist behavior. Because when you grow up with people that you thought were your friends and they're saying nasty things, it's incredibly conflicting, like especially when you're younger, to speak up. Someone that I used to grow up with said the N-word recently, not recently, but when I was younger, Mm -hmm. and they posted something about supporting the movement. And, you know, I had to confront them and ask if they're still using that word. Um, And even though it was like five, six years ago, I would have, if it was five, six years ago, I probably would not have confronted her, but I'm 19, I'm almost turning 20, and I don't think that I have time for people that are engaging in that type of behavior, and I don't stand for it now anymore, and I wish someone had, I had the guts and balls to do it a long time ago, but I feel like it just comes with, as you're growing up, you just gain a lot more confidence than you had before. Mm-hmm. A big thing for me is growing up in a place like Newton has affected (laughs) my voice because, I mean, it is, it's predominantly white and you're just surrounded by um, white people. And even though I personally think they're they're doing a pretty good job at North, it's still like part of the American education system that still perpetuates racism and white privilege. So it's tricky for sure. Yeah, it definitely is. yeah, it's it's really tough. And I, I think especially for if you've been growing up with these people for like the longest time, you know, you, I feel like you don't want to believe that they're racist or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. How would you encourage others like white people or other people of color to use their voices? I would first say to recognize the bias that we all have because we've all grown up under racist policies and so we all have them. And I've made mistakes myself, so I think it's really important to educate yourself with what's going on and have no excuses. And you have no excuses because there are resources that are being put out there. And go to protests if you can, donate and sign petitions, and start conversations with your family members and your friends. Because, you know, I think if you're white, it's important to realize that government officials, they're most likely to listen to you than a person of color, because we've been fighting this for years. And you know, no change has happened. But, you know, other than that, I feel like it's also really important to stick together, you know, no matter who you are. Thank you for talking to me today. It was really great to hear your voice because, you know, everything that's been going on is super overwhelming. And because I'm in quarantine, it's, I haven't really heard from that many people, which I kind of, I kind of regret not reaching out, but this has been great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. so much for listening. I'm gonna be honest, this week hasn't been an easy one. It's been tricky to navigate feelings and it's hard to feel anything but upset and overwhelmed. 
just know that these feelings are normal and completely valid. And what's been helping me is reaching out and having conversations like the one I had with Nia. Anyway, I have an announcement this week that you might have caught in the episode description, but this is my last episode in this season of Voices. I'm taking a two-week break from uploading, but I'll be back before you know it. In the meantime, I hope you take some time to educate yourself on the current events and what your role is in them. I also hope that everyone takes care of themselves, stay healthy, and stay safe. See you in three weeks. Thank you.